Hello, you are listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund. And I'm Simone Malas with Restore or Retreat. And, you know, uh, we're glad if you're joining us today. Of course, you know, we are all still thinking about the devastating impacts of Hurricane Ida, and that's what today's show is going to be really focused on and, and, you know, many shows for um, the foreseeable future, I think. If anything, you know, from the storm that we've, we've learned and been able to learn is that it had a tremendous impact on our state and it will have an impact for a long time to come. You know, there are going to be so many communities that are going to need our help for a long, long time. And Simone and I hope we can do, you know, the little part that we can um, on the show to elevate those needs and talk to some of the people that are doing work in those communities. So, um, if you are listening, I hope you and your family are safe, you know, that there's minimal damage and that you're getting support that you need. Um, of course, you can always reach out to info at MississippiRiverDelta.org if you have needs or ideas for how we can kind of connect and, and highlight what's happening on the ground. But first, Simone, I want to check in with you. You know, you were, um, of course, evacuated from Hurricane Ida, but as executive director of Restore Retreat, someone who's from HOMA, grew up you know, in that region who has family there, certainly friends, professional contacts. I mean, this this hit your home, right, in so many ways. And we've all been thinking about you and everyone across Louisiana. But first, how are you doing? How is your family doing? Yeah, Jacques, it's, it's certainly been a, a wild ride. Um, it's uh, one of those times where you kind of don't remember what day it is. Um, I, I actually had trouble realizing kind of how far out the event was because it, it seemed like um, it kind of snuck up on us. And then, you know, uh, there's a saying when you have kids that, you know, the days are long and the years are short. And so we're in that kind of weird time period. But I have to say, I opened up my work computer and, and we use a, a communication systems called Slack. And one of the last messages was from our, our guest today um, on the Wednesday. And Scott said, keep an eye on this guys. And, um, that was, that was the last Slack message I opened up. And so it certainly has been a wild ride. I am super blessed that, that I was, um, able to not be here for the storm. My husband stayed, um, my parents left, his parents that still live in Homa, um, they actually stayed. Um, and at the end of the day, we fared well compared to other people. And it, um, uh, you know, obviously, uh, you and I have a lot of ties to Homa, um, and, and still have family and, and so many friends that live there. And, um, this is just the, a little part that we can do to help in the recovery. It's the first of many things that I think lots of people can do to help with the recovery. Um, but it, it's going to certainly be a marathon. And so, uh, we need to talk about it, uh, as much as we can and, and to offer as much help as we can. But, at the end of the day, I, I was lucky, but but so, so many people were not, and um, I'm ready and willing to do whatever we can in any kind of way to help some of those people pick up the pieces and move forward. Yeah, and I mean, I've certainly been thinking about you. I've been thinking about all of our colleagues in Louisiana, their family, of course, and friends who've been going through this. And I think, you know, that perspective, it's, it's challenging because you go through a lot, but then you see what's happening in other places kind of more directly or significantly impacted. And so you think about, okay, well, in the grand scheme of things, I guess I'm fortunate, right? Compared right. to most. And we're seeing like the images now, Grand Isle, Golden Meadow, Leeville, you know, uh, Pointe Shen, so many of these places, Cocodry, of course, Plaquemines, Laplace. Like, I mean, we're going to talk about this in a second, but the extent is just massive. And and it is significant in terms of the damage. And so what are you hearing from people? I mean, I know you have so many relationships, both personal, professional, and <laughs> in the Bayou region and beyond. Um, and, and Restore Retreat has been so dedicated to working in that region for such a long time. So what are you hearing from people on the ground in the Bayou region? You know, what's crazy, Jacques, I went to Fouchon Thursday uh, before before the hurricane hit on Sunday and, um, you know, took pictures of West Bell Pass and the work that they're doing there. I mean, this really is our footprint and where we work. And and you're right with the professional and personal ties there. And so um, so these past couple of weeks have have been, you know, kind of mixed with all of that professional and personal checking in and those kinds of things. 
I have to say, I am so, so proud of the leadership that has been shown in this recovery. I mean, if it's not one thing, it's another. And so many people have just stepped up and, and have just been what we always knew what they were, which were, were they were great leaders. And so, um, you know, Chet Chasson at the port, Archie Chasson, um, not related, by the way, um, with Lafouche Parish, uh, Chip Klein, all these people that we get to work with all the time have just taken this head on um, and and have just worked through every piece of this to, to try to, um, you know, get the community back started and, and going where they need to go. And I just... And, you know, to see some of the devastation, I heard Archie on the, um, on the news say yesterday that 25% of Lafouche is just uninhabitable. Like there's no homes there. People, you know, lost everything. Um, but it's amazing how much they talk about hope. And that that's the one thing we were really, really lighthearted on this show. And so um, we want to confront the realities and, and the things that are happening on the ground. But I think that's one thing that you and I can both agree with is just this hope um, about this determination to rebuild, to rebuild um, maybe differently, to rebuild um, smarter, safer, you know, these kinds of things. But at the end of the day, uh, just doing what it takes to get things done. And so I hope that we take that tone in, in this show and all the future shows where we cover that as well. Um, you know, there's some stark realities on the ground, um, but but no matter what, there's always hope. Exactly. And, you know, I think one of the things that is evident from this storm and so many storms is, you know, there's just so many issues that are brought to light that maybe we wouldn't have thought about had the storm not happened, or even, you know, we may not know the full extent of the impact or some of the issues involved, or, you know, a lot of the questions we might have about coastal restoration projects or protection projects, you know, over a long term. So this is like a, this is going to take time to kind of um, unpack and and understand and analyze. And so I hope we can have some of those those leaders that you just you mentioned and and kind of highlighted on the show and talk about this at the right moment. They've been very busy and very focused on doing the important work and the urgent work of helping people recover. So there there will be a lot to unpack. Um, I want to make sure we're highlighting ways that people can go today, right now, and go and support the communities in most need. And and Restore the Mississippi River Delta put together just a resource on the web page. It's mississippiriverdelta.org slash Ida. Um, and it lists a number of local community-based organizations, organizations working on the ground to get aid, relief, supplies to people directly impacted. I mean, this is everyone from, you know, the Mutual Aid Response Network, United Home and Nation, Point Shen Indian Tribe, the Bayou Fund, Another Gulf is Possible, Bayou Community Foundation, Bless Your Heart. I mean, I'm not going to name them all because there's so many. So I would just ask that you please go to MississippiRiverDelta.org slash Ida. Consider supporting these local organizations. There's still a tremendous amount of need and there will be for a long time. And if you have the ability to do so, you know, there is also need for volunteers. So you can go and look at a list of organizations that are doing volunteer events in these communities. Um, you know, Catholic Charities, Diocese of Homa Thibodeau, Second Harvest, All Hands and Hearts. Um, Zion Travelers, Baptist Church, and Plaquemines. I mean, there's a lot. So I guess that's the one message that I would really want to convey to our listeners is despite, you know, the media tension that may exist now, you know, no matter what happens to it in the future, you know, once the cameras go away, once the news stories start to wane, there will still be so much recovery and, and, and you know, need from people on the ground to help rebuild their com- communities. And understand what does that mean to rebuild in a way that may protect them better from the next storm. So um, we hope to continue to surface those needs and just really encourage people to go to MississippiRiverDelta.org slash Ida to help today. Um, I guess one thing that of course always comes up from, you know, these hurricanes and thinking about the work that people at the Coastal Protection and Restoration Authority are doing. And of course, the urgency of our land loss crisis. I mean, you and I have chatted about this, Simone and others since the storm, you know, in so many ways, you know, so many of these communities had more protection, right, in the past because there were more wetlands and buffer, uh, you know, natural buffers from storm surge and from hurricanes. And you think about how much closer the Gulf of Mexico has moved to Homa, for example, and all the communities below Homa um, as a result of the land loss crisis. And the fact that we have, you know, 
potentially 2000 square miles of more wetland buffer that we would lose without action. So I think that'll be another theme that we kind of follow and talk about in the days and years ahead. But there's already been some coverage about some of the restoration projects that um, and how they fared. You know, I think, I believe it was Hallie Parker or maybe Tristan at the time, speaking an advocate that did a story about that. Um, so, you know, I don't know if you have anything you want to say about Caminata, Grand Terre, some of the restoration projects or just restoration in general, more broadly, Simone, but that's certainly a story we will be following. Yeah, definitely. Um, and this certainly, Jacques, is a landmark event that that it will be, you know, pre-IDA, post-IDA. They will study this for years and years and years. And so we're, we haven't even scratched the surface of that. But but anecdotally, first and foremost, uh, the New Orleans system and in the investment that was made there obviously paid off. Uh, there's a lot of work to do about, um, you know, federal levy protection, non-federal levies, and, and we could get into that and, and some other point. But um, New Orleans and the protection that it offered, you know, um, also the South Lafourche levy system held. There was some overtopping. You know, there's some there are some good news stories there that we didn't have um, the devastation as a result of flooding um, in some areas. Um, it was about a wind event and those kinds of things. But yet in other areas, it was about flooding. And so um, those kind of crazy nuances about Louisiana, and maybe Scott can address that when he talks about how this storm was just different for so many different places. But um, it, off the top, anecdotally, it looks like Caminata performed well. It looked like Back Barrier Marsh performed well. West Bell Pass took a beating. They took a beating during Zeta last year, and it seemed to be okay. Um, one of the main messages when the president came, he talked about the West Shore uh, protection for Lake Pontchartrain, and we'll talk about that even more in the future and how it relates to um, its kind of sister project, Morapaw. Um, but we we do need to take a look at those in depth. We need to put the science to it, um, and we need to look at those things more in depth. But that also will be a storyline to come out of post-IDA is how these investments um how they fared during uh, a storm as massive as this. Well, a lot to dig into, certainly. And we will, of course, be dedicated to covering this on Delta Dispatches and, and through our work as Restore the Mississippi River Delta in the months and years ahead. Um, I will say that, you know, we kind of wanted to start because, as you mentioned, Simone, um, Ida was such a blur, right? I mean, we're already at mid-September. It made landfall on August 29th, which, of course, is... A terrible date in Louisiana history, if you think about, you know, Hurricane Katrina, Hurricane Isaac, and now Ida. I mean, I know there's been memes and stuff. Can we just erase that date off of the calendar? And I frankly and personally would be fine with that. But, you know, the storm just developed so quickly, and then we've been dealing with the impacts. And so we just wanted to take a step back and, and kind of dig into why this storm was, as you said, a landmark event. And we couldn't think of anyone better to help us do that than someone who recently joined our team, um, Scott Pillier, as our Senior Communications Specialist with Environmental Defense Fund and Restore the Mississippi River Delta. Um, you may have seen Scott on our newly launched Mississippi River Delta TikTok or Instagram, but beforehand, Scott was um, a longtime meteorologist at WGNO in New Orleans, um, and he is someone who's just been dedicated to covering these issues, providing people with really amazing um, information and, and important information during these events and year round. And we are certainly lucky to have him on the team and lucky to have him on Delta Dispatches today. So welcome Del to Delta Dispatches, Scott. First and foremost, how are you doing? I know it's been a trying few weeks for you personally. Hey, Jacques and Simone. I'm so excited to finally make an appearance on uh, Delta Dispatches and uh, certainly wish that it was under you know better circumstances. But Happy to be here and talk with both of you. And I hope that, you know, hearing all the intros and everything from both of you, that you and your families are safe. Um, I'm doing well as well. Um, you know, it's, I think that Simone said it best. It's been a whirlwind, right? It's been a blur. And I think that it's hard to believe that it's already mid-September and that we're looking at- Thanks for reminding you know, us, Scott. <laughs> right? It, it, really, it really is crazy to think about the fact that it's mid-September and this made landfall um, at the end of August. So um, I'm doing well. My house suffered minimal damage. I, you know, obviously I think kind of had that same kind of anxiety that I'm sure both of you had in the days after the storm where, 
you know, you weren't able to see your house, right? So many people evacuated and they weren't able to immediately know with the lack of cell phone service, the lack of power and being displaced because of evacuating that you kind of just didn't know for a couple of days. And I think sometimes that kind of mental state post landfall of a hurricane is almost more scary than the lead up to a hurricane. Um, but, but again, fortunately, my family's home and my home as well suffered minimal damage, only a couple of shingles ripped off. So really fortunate um, about that and um, that that's a blessing. So Scott, um, you know, you came on board with our Restore the Mississippi River Delta team in, uh, I believe, mid-May. So it's been a few months. Um, you actually had the opportunity to help support WGNO and, and, and freelance to cover um, you know, Hurricane Ida. So tell us about your experience during the storm. Certainly, I know Simone, myself, many others, um, you know, your family, I'm sure, were, um, you know, very closely following you and worried about you a little bit. Um, but thankfully, you you kind of and the WGNO team managed to get through the storm safely. But, you know, tell us about that experience of covering Ida and kind of what it was like going through that at the studio at WGNO. Yeah, it was it was definitely something that, you know, I don't think anybody at the WGNO team will forget. Um, you know, we the studio at WGNO is on the eighth floor of the Galleria building in Metairie. And as we all know, when you have landfalling systems, the the wind speeds just above the ground are much stronger than even right at the ground level. And last Wednesday and Thursday, as Simone uh, mentioned, you know, I was kind of putting out alerts like, hey, you know, take this one seriously and, and keep an eye on things because this is going to be a rapidly evolving situation. And my news director uh, at WGNO reached out and said, hey, Scott, are you available? Uh, we, we could really use your help this weekend. And, you know, like riding a bike, um, I was like, let's do it. Um, and so I, my, my partner was out of town and stayed evacuated. And I came into the station and basically moved all of my belongings. I, I'm talking, I, I had my, um, you know, my evacuation bag packed for really an, you know, undisclosed amount of days that I could potentially be staying there. It wasn't supposed to be more than one or two days. Um, but it, it turned out to be staying there for six nights and seven days. And part of the reason for that was that as we were covering the storm, uh, midday on Sunday, as the storm was making landfall, we really started to, you know, hear loud bangs and, and, you know, anyone that went through Ida can attest to, you know, the howling of the wind speeds, et cetera. And we were witnessing that, but on the eighth floor of a building. And you started to, you know, hear the rumble and hear the uh, kind of things banging around. And so I went outside and this is when things got a little bit, you know, kind of alarming. I went outside in the middle of the storm um, and I've done a lot of storm chasing in the past. So I've, you know, came with preparations for going outside and kind of the, the skill set to not put myself in danger. And I want to make that clear. I was always next to concrete walls and making sure that, uh, you know, with flying debris that I was not putting myself in danger. But as I went outside, I noticed that there was a lot of insulation and pieces of siding that was on the ground outside of the building. I didn't know where it was coming from. and But you it, knew it wasn't supposed to be there. <laughs> but, right? I knew it, but I knew it was not supposed to be there. And that was kind of my first inclination. You know, Late in the evening, I said, well, the eye wall hasn't even gotten here yet. You know, winds were probably gusting 75, 80. Um, but but that core of the system hadn't gotten there yet. And I kind of thought to myself, well, look at how bad it's, you know, it is here. I can only imagine how bad it is um, closer to the bayou and river parishes and along our coastal parishes. So as we went through the evening, uh, long story short, that insulation and that siding was coming from our building. The WGNO studio was on the, the east-southeast side, which is where the wind was coming from. And basically think about a tin can. You know, I mean, old reference, but it, it was basically getting peeled off the siding hour after hour was getting peeled off. And because of that, we started to have significant leaks in the studio. We started to have insulation even falling down into the studio. The studio is a soundproof area, but 
because of the winds peeling off parts of the roof, uh, there was actually debris that was falling within the studio. So it was a very scary experience um, to kind of know that you're, you're broadcasting to so many people and keeping them safe. But sometimes you're like, oh, wait, now I'm the one that's kind of in this danger area, right? And so uh, had the winds not relaxed when they did late in the evening and into the early overnight, we were going to have to evacuate the the studio building um, on the eighth floor and go to a lower level of the building. So ended up staying there for six nights. I was um, very fortunate to be in a spot with AC. We didn't have running water for a couple of days, but they they br- brought in a bunch of porta potties and it was it was an experience, you know, and I, I really Jacques messaged me on uh, I believe it was Monday or Tuesday and was like, I, I really hope you're OK. Um, you know, no need to respond immediately. And I, I texted back and said, hey, I'm I'm good. Um, you know, the porta potties are here and I feel like I'm one of the most fortunate people in southeast Louisiana because we had power. We had a backup generator. We were able to stay on air. And I felt lucky that I had a spot to sleep at night not in the heat. And um, yeah, that that was kind of my experience, but it really was um, something that I will never forget. And it was something that I felt very uh, obliged to do to kind of go back to my role as a meteorologist for our community and um, provide that information that I really do think was able to save lives and encourage people that maybe had never evacuated before, right? Maybe they hadn't even evacuated for the the historic storms, right? The Betsy, the Katrina, the Camille. And maybe those words of being back on air and, and talking to folks kind of gave them that, okay, you know, this is serious. I should get out of town uh, and not put myself in danger. So I really, um, it, it was an experience that I, I don't think that a lot of us will forget. So that is clearly the difference between me and Jacques. Um, He's polite. And I would have been like, Scott, you better answer this text, damn it. Like, I need to, <laughs> damn it. You know, I need to know that you're okay. Um, so I, I, I watched you, Scott, and, and it like moth to the flame, right? And you, you are such an excellent communicator. And, you know, you did a really great job of talking about the differences between storms. Wendell Curall, who runs the South Lafouche Levy District, talks about, you know, you've been through one storm, you've been through one storm, you know, like um, they're all so different. And you, you did a great job of comparing and contrasting. Um, so so tell us why, why Ida? Why so destructive? What what was so different about this one? Was it the speed, the intensity? Was it just something that we hadn't seen before? This one, to me, the thing that stands out to me the most is that it rapidly intensified from a Category 1 to a Category 4, almost Category 5 within 24 hours. And that places this storm within some of the top caliber rapid intensification events we've ever seen. Um, And so I think that this one, unlike storms that you track for weeks, right? A a tropical wave rolls off the coast of Africa and people are like, oh no, is this going to come here in two weeks? This was a system that, like you said, Simone, you were in Lafourche Parish along the coast on Thursday, and then Sunday you had a Category 4 hurricane make landfall. Um, And I think that the speed that it went from a tropical wave, not a real big deal, to a Category 4 storm caught so many people kind of off guard and and I think that the that's what stands out to me the most is the rapid intensification of the storm but also this was a storm that took a path that is the worst case scenario for southeast louisiana right it, it funneled that that water into barataria bay and and kind of put all of our major metro and coastal communities at risk from a from a s- significant storm so it wasn't, you know, Katrina passed east of New Orleans and east of Southeast Louisiana, kind of putting us on the not as severe side, right? So that eastern side of the storm right over um, all of Southeast Louisiana is something that you really just, you never want to see. So Scott, I want to dig into the path a little bit, because I think, you know, and there's a graphic that the um, times and Advocate folks um, made that's on our Ida page, Mississippi River Delta.org slash Ida, that shows the path of Ida as it moved inland and kind of the destruction that it caused in those areas. I mean, 
certainly do not want to diminish in any way the impacts to New Orleans and the surrounding region. I mean, of course, like Kenner and so many other places have tremendous damage. And of course, ongoing power outages have caused a number of problems in in New Orleans. But if you think about the extent of the damage outside of New Orleans, right, you know, everywhere from Grand Isle, kind of moving up through Lafourche and Terrebonne, you know, Jefferson, Plaquemines, then up into the river parishes. I mean, that's not even talking about as it moved further, you know, into kind of Tangipahoa and then out of Louisiana. But I mean, there was a tremendous path of destruction for this storm. So can you talk a little bit about the scale of the impacts from kind of a geographical area and why certain areas were kind of so badly impacted? So I think that Something that I've talked with a lot of my professional colleagues as well uh, in the meteorology field is that a system like Ida, when it's rapidly intensifying as it approaches land, the wind speeds really translate farther inland. So if you have a storm, you know, that's weakening at landfall, the winds are, they're already coming down, right? The storm is weakening. But when you have an intensifying storm at landfall, the wind speeds go much further inland at a much stronger wind speed. And so a system like Ida that was rapidly intensifying right up through landfall, the wind speeds didn't really come down very much at all for the first six to 10 hours on land. So in coastal Lafourche, lower Jefferson, into parts of Terrebonne Parish, all the way into the river parishes and the North Shore. I mean, we had a wind gust of 112 miles per hour in Mandeville. That's incredible and truly devastating for all of the areas well inland that just don't see that kind of wind speed. So I think that for me, with the track and with the intensity, it kind of took and translated those winds well inland, well away from the coastline. Port Fouchon had 172 mile per hour wind gust. The list goes on. I, I think that that's what a lot of folks will remember with this storm is that, yes, the rain was bad. Yes, the storm surge was catastrophic for our lower-lying regions, but the wind speeds that went well inland, a lot of folks evacuated to the North Shore, to Baton Rouge, but even those areas were not spared from the wind speed. So I think from a meteorological perspective, that's what really stands out to me, the track taking those wind speeds, not just the coastal event, but an inland and well-inland wind event as well. So Scott, I'm kind of continuing this theme of every storm is is different and can't be compared really to each other. This storm itself was different within itself. Um, that was not very well said, but I think you know what I mean. Each region saw totally different impacts, whether it was on the west side, east side, um, eye wall, non-eye wall, and that crazy path it took. So could you take some time to walk us through some of the impacts that occurred where, right? So for example, you had storm surge, but wind in Grand Isle, but you had wind but the levees protected south of Fouche. Could you walk us through some of that? Yeah, you know, I think that what's super interesting about this storm, obviously we talked a lot about the rapid intensification, but the strength in itself, um, this is now tied for the strongest hurricane to ever strike Louisiana, only tying Hurricane Laura last year, which had max sustained winds of 150 at landfall, and the last island hurricane in 1856. Um, that also had max sustained winds of 150 to 155 miles per hour. So this is at that top caliber type of um, wind event. Now, we've seen other systems that have brought all kinds of different impacts. Like you said, every storm is different. Katrina had a Category 5 storm surge, but only Category 3 wind speeds when it made landfall near the mouth of the Mississippi River and over coastal Plaquemines Parish. So it's very difficult, you know, to kind of pinpoint the, you know, the severity of a hurricane based on one impact, right? That's why all the time when I talk uh, about storms, I say, even if it doesn't have a lot of wind, it could bring rain, it could bring storm surge. So I think that with this system, and what really stood out to me is a couple of things. First of all, the forecast was pretty spot on uh, a couple days out with regards to where it was going to go. The one problem with that, although the forecasting has come such a long way over the past decade to, you know, past 20 to 30 years, is that 
20 to 30 miles makes all the difference about the impacts, right? And Simone, you, you kind of mentioned this on a call the other day. You said, I was looking at this storm in the track and I feared for the worst for coastal Terrebonne Parish, right? And that was in terms of the storm surge. That 20 to 30 mile track difference at the end of the day, the track was a little bit further east at landfall by about 20 to 30 miles. And that spared the greatest amount of storm surge for coastal Terrebonne Parish. Now, there still was definitely storm surge, but it wasn't of the same height as areas in Lower Lafouche and Lower Jefferson Parish on that right front quadrant of the storm. Also on that same point, this was a rapidly intensifying storm. And what I what I like to kind of you know digress about that is that unlike Katrina, which was a major category five hurricane in the middle of the Gulf, it had a lot of time to build up that momentum of storm surge, right? But Ida, because it rapidly intensified near land, the storm surge wasn't as high as a system like Katrina or Betsy or Ike that made landfall in Southeast Texas or Rita in Southwest Louisiana, because it didn't have that time to build up the water and build up the storm surge. So Grand Isle, significant storm surge. Lower Jefferson Parish, Lafitte, Barataria, Crown Point, all those areas. We had the overtopping of levees and in coastal parts of Plaquemines Parish. You even saw the Mississippi River reverse directions, right? All the way up to Bell Chase. And that's only happened only a couple other times in history, Isaac and Katrina being two of the most recent in memory. And that goes to show you that, yes, storm surge was significant, but the biggest impact with this system, and I think what everyone is going to remember for a long time, is the winds. And the winds with this system went so far inland that areas in St. Helena Parish, Tangbaho Parish, all the way to the Louisiana-Mississippi border on the North Shore, saw nearly 100% of the parishes without power. Not to mention, this was the second largest power outage event in history of Louisiana. The only one that was higher was Gustav, and that's because it impacted New Orleans, Lafayette, and Baton Rouge. Gustav not as strong, though, as Ida was at landfall. Yeah, I mean, that is so just incredible to think about the scale and scope, Scott. And I mean, your your point about how far the impacts extend, I mean, I saw that, you know, the, the town of Braithwaite flooded for the third time um, in 16 years, you know, Katrina Isaac, and then again with Ida. And I was actually talking to Dr. Alicia Renfro at National Wildlife Federation about that. And, you know, even though the storm made impact at Fushan, given the winds and the surge, it kind of pushed a funnel up into that area that flooded it again, right? So you even think, okay, well, you know, the storm's bringing that wind and, and really intensity to kind of Terrebonne Lafouche, but then you're still seeing impacts all the way out to, you know, Plaquemines on the, certainly on the West Bank, even on the East Bank, and then into St. Bernard, and then on the North Shore, like you're saying. One of the things that I think, I think, worries a lot of us um, and certainly was the case with Ida as it was last year with several storms um, is rapid intensification. And you mentioned it earlier, but you know we saw that with Laura before it made landfall. I believe Delta also underwent rapid intensification. and then Zeta, you know, many of us went through Zeta in New Orleans and you know we remember kind of being like, okay, it's going to be a, a strong tropical storm maybe a category one, going to bed, waking up and being like, oh, wow, we're actually dealing with a category two, potentially category three storm. That has all kind of implications in terms of people's ability to evacuate, to prepare. So talk to us a little bit about rapid intensification. Why are storms undergoing rapid intensification? And then what does that mean looking forward to kind of future hurricane threats? Yeah, you know, and I think that's such a relevant and important topic that we just don't talk enough about. And and that goes to, you know, local meteorologists, national meteorologists, and kind of um, as a whole, the fact that, you know, we, we talk about climate change and we talk about individual systems, right? We, we all, I think, innately want to compare system to system. But when you look at hurricane season since 2017, right? 
just since 2017, we've seen a remarkable uptick in the intensity um, in storms in terms of that that period of time that we call rapid intensification, right? Where a storm goes up by 25, 35, or more miles per hour in a 24-hour window, right? You have this significant pressure drop, this really big uptick in wind speeds in a very short period of time, like Ida, right? Where it went from a Category 1 to a Category 4, almost Category 5 in 24 hours. That's truly remarkable. Um, but I think tying it to climate change goes to a, a deeper realm. And I think what I mean by that is that in the past 15 to 25 years, you've seen a gradual uptick in ocean heat content, meaning that water temperatures are warmer and for a longer period of time each hurricane season. Hurricane Zeta made landfall at the end of October as a Category 3. That's very, very unusual to see that late in a hurricane season. So not only are you extending the duration of time that these more powerful systems are able to occur because of the warmer water, right? It takes more cold fronts to cool down our waters. And look, believe me, I, I'm the biggest you know, supporter of cold fronts earlier in the season because the earlier you cool down those shelf waters, the more you limit the ability of these systems to intensify. Um, but I think what's really interesting is that the um, the storms in general, we've seen more storms rapidly intensify over the past, uh, let's say, a decade or so because we've seen that increase in water temperature. So warmer water temperatures that are lasting for a longer period of time. And each situation is different. And I do want to emphasize that, but especially for uh, for Ida, it ran into the same kind of water temperature ingredients that Katrina did, right? Katrina went over the warm loop current, abnormally water temp abnormally warm water temperatures over a greater depth, and that led to the rapid intensification that we saw with Ida specifically. I think that's a really helpful, you know, explanation of why that's happening, and certainly something I hope emergency preparedness officials and others are really thinking about and taking into account, you know, if this is going to happen more regularly, how do we better prepare people so that they are safe from these rapidly intensifying storms or they don't feel a false sense of, of security, right? It's just, you know, a tropical storm. It's just a category one. I mean, I think now there needs to be an awareness that, hey, that storm can rapidly intensify and be a lot more damaging. And I think, you know, meteorologists have a, an important role there, as you, as you suggested, to help people understand that that threat, and you and, and so many of your colleagues have done that so effectively. So thank you for that. Yeah, and I think Jacques, you know, I think it's important to kind of reiterate that the um, the thing that's very important to mention about rapid intensification is that it's not a golden rule, right? Not every storm is going to rapidly intensify, but when you have water temperatures, I, I call it high octane, right? If if you've got water temperatures that are always hot. The Gulf of Mexico is always hot in the summer. That's not a big deal. But the difference between 85 degrees and 88 degrees is like taking regular gas and giving it premium or giving it higher octane. Uh, and so if you've got warmer water temperatures that are abnormally warm, that's added fuel. And although it's not just about water temperatures, the the water temperatures, if you've got an environment with low wind shear, a lot of moisture, and then you've got that added kind of jet fuel or high octane fuel, it just kind of adds that extra layer of uh, of more predictable intensification, which I think is what we saw with Ida. You kind of had that um, that notion that, all right, low wind shear, very abnormally warm water. We've got a situation that we're going to see a rapidly intensifying storm. And unfortunately, that's exactly what happened with this one. I have to ask, Scott, too. I mean, certainly our work and our focus really is on Louisiana's coast and kind of the, the efforts to help communities recover from Ida and thinking about long term about coastal restoration and protection. I mean, but this storm was unique in that we were hearing from colleagues in Pennsylvania and New York and New Jersey about it severely impacting them. And then you saw the impacts, you know, where there was loss of life and flooding and the fact that a hurricane kind of 
made it from New Orleans to New York that and that and it was still strong. I mean, can you talk a little bit about Ida in that sense? I mean, was that something that was really rare and odd to see how far it extended inland? Yeah, I think that Ida is going to be remembered because of that, in addition to the catastrophic impacts that it brought to Southeast Louisiana, but that duration of the impacts, that duration and the expanse of the impacts. The Northeast is no stranger to kind of the ripple effect of storms, right? But I think what's what's really interesting, and, and we've talked a lot, you and I personally, about how heavy rain events are becoming much more common. Um, and these kind of one in 100 year events, the, the phrasing of that, I, I don't even like using the term one in 100 years, because we're getting more and more data that's showing that these events are happening at a much more frequent scale than that. So I think that over the next couple of years, we'll probably see a trend away from using that uh, you know, vernacular. But I think that it's important to say with Ida, the, the atmosphere in the Northeast, they had a historically soggy spring and summer. And then you had a system that went right through the same areas that we're already dealing with um, you know, a, a season's worth of rainfall in just a couple of months. So it was kind of adding um, insult to injury. And unfortunately, it really resulted in uh, a lot of lost lives. And I think that this is so important too, is that it's hard to convey. Think about the, tw- you remember the 2016 floods here in Louisiana? Yeah, of course. The, tw- the, the 2016 floods, I think is... Um, a good kind of messaging standpoint for what the Northeast saw is that they, this wasn't necessarily a name storm that was coming off of the Atlantic Ocean and heading towards New Jersey, right? This was an inland tropical cyclone that had been overland for days and was just a depression, but it still had that punch. It still had that atmospheric moisture with it. And so it's really difficult from a messaging standpoint, I think similar to climate change and climate adaptation, I think the difficult messaging is also very difficult when you're talking about a rain event, right? How can you make people more aware about a rain event? If you've got a name storm coming off the Atlantic, people take that more seriously than just, oh, it's going to rain, you know, two to three inches, but then, oh, wait, if it's five to six inches, you know, the that's a much more drastic amount of water that can impact the system. Yeah. And that, I mean, that makes me think about Scott conversations we've had before, you know, for other storms. And then just like you said, for non-named storms, whether it's the Baton Rouge floods or, or other events, um, you know, I think this was the case with tropical storm Barry, where it was a tropical storm that was moving into Louisiana at a time when we had a very high Mississippi river. I believe the river was at flood stage And then we're also concerned about it dumping a tremendous amount of rain in and around the greater New Orleans area. So I remember that being an opportunity. I mean, thankfully, the the worst scenario did not come to fruition, but that was an opportunity for us to think about how we communicate our relationship to water and how, as a region, we flood, right? We flood from storm surge from the Gulf. We flood from potentially from rivers, although thankfully our Mississippi River levees have kept us safe, um, even though they've had other impacts. And then... Uh, you know, from rainfall. And so it's like impossible to isolate any of those one kind of flood type events, right? And then each storm is different. I I believe Sally, I want to say last year was more of a rain event. And then another one was more of a storm surge event. So it's kind of like Simone was saying when she quotes Wendell Curall, you know, what is it, Simone, that uh, something about the last storm? If you've yeah, like if you've been through one storm, you've just been through that storm, right? Because just they're all different. So true. Yeah, and I think that the inland flooding impacts is something that we are seeing at a much, much higher rate. And those those are tied to a lot of different things. But you look at the amount of homes that have been built, you know, in watersheds. Um, you look at the infrastructure that is built to keep these areas dry in heavy rain events. Well, when you put more and more concrete on top of, you know, these these watersheds and you don't really, um, the infrastructure decades and decades ago when maybe, you know, you were having a one or two inch rain event. Now that's a two to three inch rain event. And the, the volume of water, um, 
that can come from some of these systems well inland away from the coast. I think the messaging the next couple of years, I really hope that, you know, the in response to all of these natural disasters that we've had, uh, both inland and coastal, kind of gives that uh, that reckoning of messaging, right? That more lives can be lost inland from flooding than even where the storm comes on shore. And that's exactly what we had with Ida. More lives lost hundreds, thousands of miles away from landfall. Yeah, those are some really good points, Scott, and something that we need to think about more and more for the future is that, um, you know, hurricanes and are not just the Louisiana thing, um, although we've had more than our fair share of those um, just just it's not just a Louisiana thing, whether where it hits or where it ends up. I mean, we have good friends in D.C. and um, and we send our storms up to them too many times lately. So I do want to end on um, kind of a positive note, if we can. Um, this is the point of the show where you tell us that um, we will have no more hurricanes for the rest of the year. <laughs> We're actually good to go for a little while. Um, so you need to tell us that. Um and then um, also you worked so, so hard on those ways to help. And I know it was it was personal for you. And I know that that you spent so much time looking into the different organizations. So um, tell us where we're going from here um, and then then remind folks how they can help. Yeah, I, I look, I I've got a table next to me that I'm knocking on wood. You know, I, I hope and pray that Louisiana has had um, its last storm. But. You know, I, I think that we've we've already seen that just because you have one storm impact one region doesn't mean that the following year you can't have another one or in that same season. So it's so important for us to always stay prepared. We've got a plethora of resources to make sure you've got the latest information on storms and potentially developing storms, et cetera. And also on our Mississippi River Delta page, um, we've got a great amount of resources for folks that may be listening from out of town and out of state and want to donate or want to volunteer in the weeks to come. I think that so much is going to be focused on the weeks and months on the recovery for our bayou and river parishes and our coastal communities as well. And I think that that um, is going to be something that we really need to keep the focus on. Because as we mentioned at the top of this podcast, long after media attention fades, it's going to be the people that live here um, that have to kind of rally together and rely on support from others where we need it to, you know, to get back to that sense of normalcy. Well said, well said. Jacques, if, um, if you, if you want to jump on the fun question, I love, um, yeah, definite, um, bright spot is that we get to ask Scott a fun question. Um, I'll let Uh-oh. you have those honors and I'll, <laughs> I'll take on the coastal stat of the week. How about that? That sounds good. And I'll, I'll just say, you know, this fun question, Scott, you're going to get the privilege of having this be more of a fun discussion, because I think, Um, there's rather than just asking you your favorite snowball flavor, which we can ask you anytime. Um, I love the the fact that (laughs) you worked for, I believe you interned with one of our favorites, um, I should say our other favorite meteorologists, um, a former guest (laughs) on Delta Dispatch Dispatches, um, the queen of New Orleans meteorology, you know, she's on candles, shirts. She was recently profiled in the (laughs) New Yorker. There's not enough goodness that I and good things that I can say about Margaret Orr, who is just a treasure for our region. And along with you and other meteorologists, help keep keep us informed and just aware this with this storm and so many others. So I just got to ask you to reflect on, you know, Margaret Orr, how wonderful she is. You know what the experience well, talking about her. He could get to it. Yes. Let's just just Margaret Orr, Scott, discuss all things Margaret Orr. Go. She is the exact same person on air as she is in person, and I think that is the biggest compliment that you can give someone of her of her kind of spectacle, right? She, if you watched her Mardi Gras coverage, and you've seen her out on the parade route giving hugs and kisses to everyone and helping to boost people up, I think that that's who she is. And I've also look, I, I've sat in that news with her, newsroom with her. For hours, showing her, you know, I, I, I'm not going to date myself or her, um, and but but I'm a little bit younger, and she would be. She's the first one to be humble and say, Scott, you know this new radar site. Give you know, give it to me. 
like, you know, shoot me straight. What, what's, what's that new radar app? What's that, you know, she wants to give everyone the most information to be safe. And that's someone who's a rock star at their job, right? If you can learn and adapt to every new social media platform, if you can adapt to every new radar site, you know, I, I think that that is a true professional to me. And I think that's something all of us should strive to do, you know, in, in no matter where you're at in your career, intern, you know, associate, been there for 20 years, 40 years. Um, you know, she has that ability to kind of connect with people on a personal level and also grow year after year. So, hey, I can't say enough good things about her. Her and I grabbed coffee, what, in March? And, um, you know, once we were both vaccinated and it was just great to catch up, you know, her and I will go grab beignets, go grab coffee. And I, I just think that when you are the same person, I mean, look, the three of us communicate over Skype and over Zoom and all the different platforms. And it's great when you hang out with each other that they're the same person that you know over a camera screen, right? That is such a powerful message, I don't know, take away from this is that if you are that authentic of a person and that translates through a camera, you've got a really strong, uh, great person. I think that's such a great response uh, and certainly my experience with Margaret. And so I just want to wish her the best, hope that I know we're still in hurricane season. And like you said, knocking on all of the wood desks around me, um, but I hope she and, and you and so many of our other meteorologists get a well-deserved break soon. I also hope that, you know, they know that our entire region and even people that live outside of Louisiana, look, I know a lot of us that still tune in to local news coverage during these events because we want to hear it from our local meteorologists. Um, we express so much gratitude and, to, and thank you to, for all the work that you do in the long hours and putting yourselves through these conditions to kind of keep people safe and informed. So I just want to put that out there and that includes you, Scott. Um, but also I, I want to say, I mean, I think New Orleans is really blessed to have such wonderful meteorologists. I mean, if you look across all the stations, there's so many great people, professionals. And, and I think we have a long history, right, of that going back to, you know, um, oh, my gosh, uh, I'm forgetting his name right now. But the guy on WWL TV with the, you know, the storm tracker. Um, Nash Roberts. Exactly. Exactly. Nash Roberts. Thank you. But yeah, I mean, talk about that. Like, I feel like New Orleans more so than maybe other places that has that special connection to our local meteorologists. Do you have any thoughts on why that is? And look, everybody's got their favorite. (laughs) (laughs) I I will be the first one to say that, you know, when people, you know, if if someone meets me and they're fangirling over over Margaret um, or or anyone, you know, Bob Breck, all of these people, Nash Roberts, um, I think that you've got an, an area that is so impacted by weather that it's only natural for everyone to be more attuned to who their meteorologist is, right? It, you go to some cities and they might not know anybody who's on a local station. But I think here, not only are people in Southeast Louisiana so connected with one another, it's one degree of separation for every person you meet. Um, you know, you're like, wait, you know them, you, you know them, everybody knows someone that the other person knows. It, it's just, it's remarkable. I mean, we're, we're such a tight knit community. So I think that transcends into news world. These people are your friends. Um, and more often than not, look, I've worked with a lot of them. <laughs> they, they are, they are more often than not very similar to who you see on air. And I think that that's also unusual. I don't think that that happens everywhere. I don't think that this is a, you know, a a cross community thing. I think it's a New Orleans thing. And I think it's a Louisiana thing. I've worked in Lafayette um, and and worked closely with a lot of partners in Lake Charles. People here know the weather better than everyone else, but they still want that that meteorologist that they trust to give them the advice, you know? And I, I just think that that's so, it's such a cool thing for people here, but look, it's also a big responsibility. When I tell you I got two hours of sleep for about a week for Hurricane Ida, um, that's because the meteorologists here really care, and they really care about informing the public and getting that, you know, that that word out about, hey, it's time to leave. You know, it's time to hunker down, and or 
it's time to go grab some gumbo. Look, I put out gumbo advisories all the time. <laughs> I uh, followed <laughs> it. I followed it. <laughs> I put those um, out all the time. And that, that's something like, you can't, you can't find that anywhere else. I don't see somebody putting a stew, stew alert out. I don't know. I did have um I did have my gumbo in my 85 degree weather because it was nice outside. <laughs> um, I do have a couple of follow up points if if Jacques gets to gush about Margaret or um first of all uh, Scott absolutely has a cult following in Southwest Louisiana. <laughs> I was informed cult was the word that was used. Um, second, I was walking to um to um school pickup, and a, a friend of mine was like um hey um do you know Scott? I was like, uh, she's like, I saw your picture. Is he nice? I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> so thank you for making me mom famous at um, Kid Pickup. Appreciate that. <laughs> oh my gosh. The fact that I was questioning about being nice. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah. So funny. So I told her the real scoop about you. And, and finally, <laughs> I had the funniest conversation with somebody the other day about another meteorologist, um, Shelby Latino, um, poor baby had triplets right before this happened and you would have thought that like we knew her like we were talking about the babies we were talking about the baby's names like all this kind of stuff and then it's like I don't actually know her uh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm proud to say that I know Scott but I can certainly attest to how much people are all up in your um the meteorologist business so um thank you thank you for doing all that you do you have to come back on the show because I didn't even get to ask you my favorite question about how did little Scott you know, did he always just love the weather? So we'll talk about that. Um, we'll hold that yes. for another day. Um, I do want to make sure we cover the coastal stat of the week. And and Jacques, I forgot about the coastal voice. That's probably one of the most important things that we do in this show. And so we want to make sure that the voice is out there. But um, just putting a little more fact to the story that we've been telling today. Hurricane Ida made landfall in southeast Louisiana on the morning of August 29th as a Category 4 storm with 150 mile per hour winds. Um, Scott, do you think they'll look back at that and change that at all? Or how does that work? I think so. Great question. Yeah, they actually do a complete post-storm analysis report. Try saying that four times fast. <laughs> um, they they do that after each hurricane season. So yes. I think that it's possible that this could be kind of similar to Laura, that borderline threshold between Category 4, Category 5. They're going to go look at all the winds that were measured and look at all the damage and say, okay, we saw houses that were completely, you know, ripped from their you know, from their structure. Um, and I think that it is possible that we see this get upgraded. I, I think based on some of the damage we saw, widespread, you know, destruction in our lower parts of our parishes, uh, Terrebonne, Lafouche, Lower Jefferson, and Plaquemines. So I think that it's possible and we'll get that full report um, probably sometime early in 2022. Yeah, good, good information. Thank you. Uh, right now, Ida ties Hurricane Laura in 2020 and the last island hurricane of 1856 as the strongest hurricanes ever to make landfall. Ida remained a destructive storm as it moved inland through the bayou and river parishes and maintained hurricane intensity as far north as the Mississippi border. The impacts of the storm are still being assessed from flooding, wind, and rain damage to concerns about pollution to the loss of power to more than 400,000 homes in the region over a week and longer after the storm had made landfall. Wow. Well, I mean, as we've said already on the show, I mean, this is a storm that will, you know, we will remember for a long time. Certainly will take so much time for um, our region to recover. Cannot stop plugging MississippiRiverDelta.org slash Ida, where you can go. And there's a list of so many important organizations doing great work. So really encourage you to go give what you can. You're, you're, monetarily, your time, whatever, and we'll continue to highlight the needs of um, those that have been impacted by this terrible storm. Um, I'd like to share the Coastal Voice of the Week this week. I think it's um, really, really relevant and beautiful in, in light of everything that we're going through, and that is Louisiana is my home, and I want our future generations to experience everything it has to offer. I love Louisiana, and that is from Maggie and Homa. And thank you so much, Maggie. We hope that you and your family are safe. Um, we're thinking about you and your neighbors and everyone that have been impacted by Hurricane Ida. Um, you can share your voice and let us know why you love Louisiana, why the coast is worth restoring, 
and why our region is worth protecting and rebuilding um, going forward, please go to MississippiRiverDelta.org slash restore dash the dash coast, and we will share your voice on an upcoming episode. So thank you. Huge thank you to Scott. I will echo Simone that this is the first, but certainly won't be the last appearance of, of Scott on Delta Dispatches. So thank you. We know you're busy and you have a lot going on, um, but we really appreciate your insight and kind of helping us debrief from this terrible storm. And we'll welcome your insight and analysis in the future. Um, with that, we thank you for listening. We hope everyone out there that are, of our listeners are safe, you're recovering, that your families are okay. And again, please continue to surface needs to us. You can email info at MississippiRiverDelta.org if there are specific organizations that you know that are doing good work that you'd like us to plug, or if you have other ideas for, for the show and, and what we can feature. Um, anything else you want to say, Simone, before we close? No, no. Well said. Just um, keep your hearts open and keep helping the people in need. All right. Well, thank you all for listening, and we will see y'all later, alligators. Alligators.